Good morning, everybody. It is good to have all of you here this morning. We are so glad that you're here worshiping with us. In fact, um, I just want you to know this morning, we just really pray that you feel loved and welcomed and encouraged here. And I also want to say, what are you doing here? It's the middle of July. We've had two awesome crowds today at both of our services. God is on the move and he's doing some amazing things. Amen? This is great. This is awesome. And uh, if you've been around uh, the last few weeks, you know that we just wrapped up a sermon series called What's a Lutheran? And hopefully know a little bit more about that, what makes us Lutheran Church of Hope. And now for the next several weeks, we're going to transition and we're starting a brand new series today about our core values, about really what makes us Lutheran Church of Hope. What is it that makes us who we are? And is any group or organization or company that many of you are different, familiar with different ones of those, Lutheran Church of Hope has a mission, a vision, and some values. Our mission is our, it's our purpose. It's our, what we hope to accomplish. Our vision is what will it look like when we're accomplishing our mission? What, is, what do we look like at our very best? And that's to be spirited and growing and Christ-centered. And last but not least, we have these values, these core values, these ideas, these things that we hold in place that keep us on track as we go about our mission our values, the things that keep us grounded. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about the five values that hope has as a church, these five characteristics, these five truths, that things that we are utterly passionate about as a church. And we're going to walk through those together. Before we do, I want you to invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start a little bit after uh, what was read for us this morning, just one chapter ahead. And we'll come back to that. But we're going to start in Philippians chapter 3. And before we dig into that, I want to start by asking you a question. Before I just get talking to you about all the things that we are passionate about as a church, I want to know what you individually are passionate about. I want you to think about that. If I asked you, what is it that right now here this morning you are so passionate about? What would that be? What are those things, those ideas, those topics that when brought up, you light up? That just fill you with energy that you can't help but think about, that you lay awake at night dreaming about? If you had a, a, a full day, a complete day as a gift, do anything you wanted, a whole weekend free to do anything you wanted, what would you do? What's the first thing that comes to mind? To get you thinking a little bit about that, I want to tell you something that... Um, that I was passionate about, kind of a fun one from my childhood, but this is the very first thing that came to mind. I'm thinking, we're kind of in the dog days of summer here. What was I doing as a child? When I was like five, six, seven years old. I was in love with baseball fields and the way that they were mowed and, 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 and all the different aspects of keeping a baseball field going. And I was thinking about, what am I passionate about? And it was that. Every day during the entire summer, it was just like, you know when you were little, summer seemed endless. And now it's like mid-June to mid-August and get yourself back to school. That's kind of what it seems like. But they were just endless days and I would spend them in the backyard. Our, our yard ran adjacent to the church uh, yard because I was a pastor's kid. And so I was in charge of mowing the church lawn, which is very big, and our yard at the parsonage, which was very big as well. Well, because of my love for baseball, because I was so passionate about it, I would take it upon myself to transform our backyard into a baseball field. And no, I didn't mow any cornfield down to get there and baseball players didn't wander in. Uh, but it was incredible. So what I would do is I would mow the baselines of the baseball, the, the diamond, a little bit on a lower setting because 
I'm in charge of lawn care. I can do whatever I want, right? So I would mow them down. So if you looked from Google Earth, you would see a, a giant baseball diamond in the back of the church, which I'm sure a lot of churches have. And I went over to our sandbox, and I loaded up a bunch of sand, and I put it on my, my winter sled, because that's all I had for some reason. And I wrapped it around my neck, and I drug this sand over to the other side of the yard and, and made it and formed it into a mound. I went to the lumber yard, and I cut with my own hands. I saw the bases and the mound, and I painted them white and I put them out there. I took spray paint. My dad wasn't too excited about this, but I took spray paint and did the whole baseline and everything and the batter's boxes. I mean, I had the whole bit. You know the, the distance markers on the, you know, that say, hey, a home run is 384 feet or whatever it is. Well, I thought, well, I got a real baseball field. We need those too. And so it's just this little fence in the backyard. It's like 37 feet. And I just made a little thing that hooked onto the, to the fence. I hit the end of my passion. I kind of went a little bit too far one day when I was out there and next to home plate, I was digging this huge hole, this huge trench. And my dad comes out. He's like, stop, stop. You know, you're supposed to call before you dig, right? And he comes out, Jonathan, what are you doing? And I go, well, it's a baseball field. We got to have dugouts, don't you think? Like I was going to literally dig out to dug out to dugouts. He's like, no, let's have those above the, the, the ground. That'd be, that'd be better. That's where my passion went a little bit too far. But this is what my brother and I love to do. And we would lay awake at night thinking of ways that we could make our baseball field even better. And that's kind of childish and maybe a little cheesy, but those things don't go away. God's put things on each of your heart that you're passionate about and they're good and they're holy and they're pure and I want to know what they are. So what I want you to do is I want you to find one or two people around you, just kind of get in groups of three or so, and I don't, don't be bashful, just tell them what's something you're passionate about. Just top of mind and don't get oh so spiritual and churchy about it. Yes, Jesus, we'll get to that in a little bit, okay? Just what's top of mind, doesn't have to be deep or theological, just what do you love, what are you passionate about, go. Tell somebody next to you. All right, I'm going to cut you off there. I know you could go all day. These are exciting things to talk about, I'm sure. Some of you are very eager to tell the person next to you, do you want to know all about my life? Some people are like, ugh, right? We can tell who the introverts and the extroverts are. I get it. It's uncomfortable for some of you. So here's what I want to do. Not everybody needs to share. I don't want to put unnecessary pressure on you, but you can pull the old trick and say, I have a friend who's passionate about and just yell it out. So something that was said in your group, if they gave you permission to say it, or just something that you heard come up, what are we as a church passionate about? I'm going to write them up here. Just yell them out. What are we passionate about? Okay, the first service, the first service somebody yelled out fish. So I think we're equal now, so that's good. Awesome. So cheese, what else? What? Job, okay. What else? Don't be bashful, just yell them out. Keep them coming. Family, what else? Music, good one. Keep them coming. Education. Traveling. Oh, you're being too normal. Education. Camping. Camping. What else? Canoeing. canoeing. I'm just going to write canoe because I have no idea how to spell canoeing. Keep them coming. Barbecue. Barbecue. Good one. Excellent. Men's mini golf and wings. Yes. What else? Oh, uh, one at a time. Gardening. Okay, I thought somebody said garbage, so I'm going to write it up here. That's good. Good. You're weird. What else? I think I had say Xbox Okay, somebody said Xbox. Okay, good. Not just Xbox, but Xbox 360 degrees. Okay, good. What else? Bacon. Okay, good. 
Settlers of Catan. Okay, we know what that means. I knew somebody was going to say that. What else? Baseball. Good one. I'm with you. Photography. Iowa Hawkeyes, we'll put that one at the top here. There we go. The Viking. Oh, now we're going to go on that thing now. Okay. The Vikings. Oh, biking. Okay, gotcha. Should we take Vikings off or leave that one on? A couple more, a couple more. What else? Golf. Good one. I concur. What else? Okay, I-S-U, we'll kind of put that one in the corner over there, there we go, okay, good, that's, that's a pretty good list, I like that, give yourselves a round of applause, that's very nice. nice, nice work. Here's the thing, to give you a picture of what our first value as Lutheran Church of Hope is, I was kind of trying to think of just a really concrete way to say it, that, that our first value as a church looks a little bit something like this. If I had a picture to tell you what our first value is, it's that. Say it with me. Jesus' is life. I'll say it again. Jesus' is life. The rest is details. Jesus' is life. The rest is details. Details, not, not important. Not that any of those things are bad. They're just details in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. And this is not something we made up. We didn't just come up with that slogan ourselves. It is deeply rooted in God's word, and it's deeply rooted in the response of the early believers as well. You've got your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 3. Let's take a look at that together. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. If you could sum up Philippians chapter 3 in a picture, it's this. It's this. Starting in verse 7, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. The Apostle Paul is speaking to us about what he is ultimately passionate about. And he says this, But whatever were gains to me, all these other things, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. Get this. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So what is Paul saying? He's saying there's a whole bunch of things just like us that have been important to me. There's my hobbies, the things I enjoy, the lifestyle that I'm used to. And let me tell you, Paul says, not to mention the passage before the one we just read. Paul says, I have plenty to boast in. You want to talk about being a big deal in this world, Paul says, I've had the wealth, I've had the titles, I've had the popularity until that day on the road when I ran into Jesus Christ. And now all these things, whatever things are in Paul's life, they are a part of my life, but in comparison, what does he say? I consider them garbage. Which, just a little disclaimer here, Paul's writing in, Greek, and unfortunately, the writers of the Bible needed to be somewhat G or at least PG. The original Greek word that Paul uses for garbage, well, I'm just going to leave that one up to you if you want to go research that one. I won't go into 
um, you know, body humor too much. It's kind of scandalous. It's kind of rated R, maybe, a little bit. And pastors aren't supposed to swear in church, so I'll let you look that one up on your own. It's rubbish. It's garbage. It's even more blah than that. And why would Paul go to such an extreme to use a almost a swear word to describe all these other things because what he's saying is in comparison, if you hold up everything else in my life that I could be passionate about, compared to this relationship that I now have with Jesus, there is no comparison. There is absolutely no comparison because of the surpassing greatness that trumps everything else. Paul says nothing can measure up to it. None of these other things are bad. They're just nowhere close to this relationship that I have now. And in a very different context, let me paint this picture of what Paul's saying to us here in a very different way. On August 15th, 2009, I stood at the front of Emanuel Lutheran Church in Story City, Iowa, in my suit that somewhat fits still, watching the most beautiful, gorgeous woman inside and out walk down the aisle to me. And in fact, she still is. And I tell her that every day. Guys, you taking notes? Write down. In what was truly the best day of my life, as my bride is walking down the aisle, in that moment, and guys, you know this, in that moment, it's like nothing else in the world mattered. When you love somebody that much, and here's the deal, it wasn't because I knew about her, I knew some facts about her. Ooh, she's from Marshalltown. She had a dog named Kirby growing up. She has brown hair. Ooh, you know why my heart was just churning and stirring? is because we knew each other. We were in relationship with each other. We had spent time together. The reason that nothing else mattered and I was solely focused on her in that moment is because we had this intimacy. Because I knew what makes her tick and she knows what makes me tick. I know what makes her heart melt because I know what makes her laugh, and I know what makes her cry. And the same for me, for her. And in that moment, I'm realizing I get to be in a relationship with her for the rest of my life. What could possibly compare to that? Even the birth of our first son, nothing compares to this. She's the most important relationship in my life. And how silly would it have been I mean, there is no way in the world that in my head, at that moment, watching her come down the aisle, I'm thinking about my hobbies. Oh, boy, do I really love to golf. I wonder when the wedding's going to get done. Maybe I could get a tea time in. So, I mean, I really love reading about Civil War history. Which book should I, should I get next? You know, and there's no way I'm thinking about my titles or my job or my accomplishments. There's no way I'm thinking about, hey, I got straight A's in high school. Wow, yeah. I got a theater scholarship, you know, to college. I was, I was a golf jock in high school, right? No, there's no way I'm thinking about any of that. All of that's in the past, and it's great, and it's fun, and it's a part of my life, but there's nothing that compares to her. In that moment, that relationship, and guys, if you are planning on thinking about those things as your bride is walking down the aisle, you got issues. That, that needs to change. 
Everything else paled in comparison to knowing her. And I wonder, how does your relationship with your Savior today stack up against everything else in your life? Where does it rank? Who's on the the throne of your heart? Where, Where is Jesus at in terms of everything else that competes for your time and your energy and your attention? Because for some of us, we're saying, oh, yeah, you know, Jesus is a, is a part of it. But as we were going along there and yelling out all these different things, it's, for you, it's not this. It's more like, oh, boy, I got a full life, lots of things going on. Let's see if I can just kind of squeeze good old JC up there in the corner. And we laugh, but that's the reality of it. How you spend your time, where your affections are, will tell you what you value. And instead of this being a guilt trip, some of you are thinking like, oh, here the pastor goes, Jesus number one, don't have any more fun. I I think that's the danger when we talk about anything like this is you think, well, if I'm going to be passionate about Jesus and, you know, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, right? We think that we have to give up everything else that brings us joy and happiness in this life. And nowhere in Scripture do I see that. Did Paul say, I'm putting everything else aside and I'm not going to experience any joy or any fun or enjoyment the rest of my life because I'm following Jesus? That sounds silly, but that's how we think about it sometimes. Well, I'm, I'm following Jesus, and so if I'm going to do that, Pastor John told me I need to become a monk and not have any fun. That's not what I'm saying at all. But here's the way we do it. We think, oh, everybody else in my life and all my friends and in my other circles, they're all over here doing things that normal people do, and I'm over here following Jesus trying to be holy. It's like joy is that way, and suck it up and try to be good enough, Christian, is over here. Quite the opposite. That's not what we see at all. I don't know about you, but instead, when I look around me at the people that are most passionate passionately in love with Jesus Christ, and their life is this. Yeah, there's all these other things in their life, but this is what it is. This trumps everything else. These people are the most authentic, the most real, the most down-to-earth people. They're the most fun to be around. Imagine that if Christians were the life of the party. Why not? It says we're the salt of the earth. We bring flavor to any relationship we're in. Oh, good, the Christians are here. When's the last time you heard that, right? We've got an issue. This is where all the fun and joy is at. Well, like, I just want to be normal, but I'm over here following. No, it doesn't have to be that way at all. The people that are most passionate about Jesus have the most fun, have the most joy, because they've got this, their priorities in line. In other words, they can be fully present in the world in whatever situation, but the things that they're living for are not all these other temporary things. Whether it's popularity or the impressions that you're trying to make on your your group of friends, or maybe you're still living for the expectations of parents, comparing yourself to others. Instead, when people are passionately in love with Jesus, when their life looks like this, the questions they're asking are, In this relationship, in this decision I have to make, in this use of time, in this conversation I'm about to have, will it ultimately bring glory to God? 
Because, yeah, I'll listen to other people, but ultimately, (laughs) there's only one opinion that matters in my life, and that's because I'm living for an audience of one. Not the expectations of everybody else around me. And at the end of the day, I'm much rather going to be found living for things that are eternal than things that I can't take with me. For them, for people that are passionately in love with Jesus, it's like, I can pursue all these other things, and it's great. I can be the most normal person in my friend group, (laughs) the most joyful, fun-filled person in my friend group, because these things are not controlling me. They don't have their hooks in me. I'm living for one thing. And so when we honestly ask ourselves, we start to reveal things. Where are all these things at on the throne of my heart? One of my favorite authors is a a pastor and author. His name's A.W. Tozer, and he wrote this book called The Pursuit of God. And I just love how he puts it in here. It's kind of old English, so you'll have to follow along. But he says this. When religion has said its last word, there is little that we need other than God himself. Listen to this. The evil habit of seeking God and effectively prevents us from finding God. In the and of life lies our greatest woe. We need not fear that in seeking God only we narrow our lives or restrict the motions of our expanding hearts. In fact, the opposite is true. Now listen to what he says. For the one who has God for his treasure has all things in one. Translation, you're not missing out on anything. You're gaining everything. Tozer writes, Many ordinary treasures, all these things, may be denied to this person, or if they are allowed to have them, the enjoyment of all these things will be so tempered that they will never be necessary for their happiness. Or if he must see them go, if if all these things went away, for having the source of all things he has in one, all satisfaction, all pleasure, and all delight. In other words, you can have all the world, just give me Jesus. As the old hymn goes, right? You can have all these other things, you can strip them all away, And it doesn't change. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is based on a relationship with your creator. And that never changes. So you can take all those things away. And so I wonder, based on what Tozer says here, you know, the the, the danger of seeking God and, what's the and for you today? What are the things that, Maybe the things that are outside of God's boundaries or even those things that are good, that are getting in the way, that that need to find their place again. For some of us, we need to do some decluttering of our lives. We need to start rearranging some of these things because they're out of control, they're out of line, and they're out of order. Some of our lives need realignment today. Maybe for you, it's when our summer projects, our house projects, which seem innocent, how they start to consume us to the point where we don't have time to simply be with God at the beginning and the end of every day. It's when work, the long hours of work, continually prevents you from truly receiving God's gift of Sabbath. 
It's when we've spent the entire whole weekend bouncing from party to events to this person's house to social gathering, but you can't, and, and meeting all these people that don't have a church home and that don't know Jesus, and, and you've gone to all these parties and gatherings, and you're super social, and you're super networked and connected, but you really can't remember the last time that your heart broke for somebody in that group that doesn't know Jesus. out of alignment. It's out of order. It's a challenging one. We know we're out of order when we've spent the entire week and every single person we talk to, we talk to about our kids and our goal is to try to keep them as busy as possible. And yet you can't remember the last time you sat down with your spouse and talked about what God's doing in each other's lives. Something's out of, out of alignment. Something's out of order. You're saying, oh, gee whiz, Pastor John, that seems so radical. So is the Jesus in that book that you're holding before you today. He's pretty radical, who longs to give you joy and who says you're never going to be happy until you get these things in order, even the good things. Say it with me. Jesus' life, try it again, Jesus' life, the rest is details. And up until now, for a lot of us, you've just been thinking about, okay, how does this affect me personally? What, what is that like? But this is a value statement for us as a church. So what does it mean for us as a community? And the truth is, it's so easy to get confused about what it is that we're after here. I mean, what are we about? We've been worshiping here now for over six years, and sometimes it's hard and there'd be a lot easier ways to go about this. I mean, there's a lot of other places you could go, and you don't have to set up your own chair, and you don't have to walk through the cafeteria that, for some reason, the air conditioning doesn't work. And, and, and different things like that. You have to pour your own coffee sometimes, maybe, and the donut holes are okay, and, and the preaching's subpar to okay, and, you know, all these things. There'd be a lot of easier ways to do this. We're having church in an elementary school gym. What is it that we're about here? What are we doing? What's the point? And if you're like a lot, most people, there's a lot of different ideas of what that is. What is the main point of church? If Jesus' is life, is that really the point? Well, if we're honest with ourselves, there's a lot of layers that we need to work through. Some of you are getting really excited right now because you think it's Christmas in July. It's a lot of layers that we need to work through. Instead of getting to the source, we say, oh, I know the point of church. See, and, and our idea of what church is all about is usually what's best for us. It's not the heart of it. It's, well, it's kind of what I like. And you know what I really like? The first layer. <laughs> Here's the point of church. It's to be social. I mean, my life group's there. My friends are there. It's I get to see people every week, and I'm so busy. I, I like to show up, and I like, I like to see people that I know. I mean, it is awesome. It's great, and I come in, and I find those people that I know, and it's great, and really, that is the point, is being social. Except that's not it. And all those things are good, but it's not the point. There's still more layers to work through. Oh, no, 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 John. Here's the point. It's not about being social. That's for the heathens. What really is, if you're a good religious person, 
you need to care about the poor, right? We serve the homeless here at Hope Des Moines. It's all about social justice. And that is the real point of church is just be really, really good people, try really hard to do good things. And that is why we exist as a church to help those people in need. That is the main point of why we're here, except it's not. And all those things are good, but that's another layer some of you need to work through. Oh, no, John, I'll tell you what the real point of why we're here is. It's so that I can come here every single week, get inspired and filled up by an amazing message. It's absolutely, the band fires me up. It's great. It's like going to a rock concert every week, and I get all fired up by the sermons, and I go home, and it's Monday, and it's Tuesday, and it's Wednesday, and... Man, I can't wait till Sunday again because God's not really with me during the week. He's only there at Hubble, and I need to get my little pep talk from Pastor John, and then I'll be better again. So really, church is about coming and consuming and getting a little pep talk and getting inspired. Now, that's not what it is either. But if we peel back enough layers, we'll figure out what it is about. And you turn... To Philippians, whoa, you turn to Philippians chapter 3, where hopefully you already are, and you hear Paul say, I now consider everything else a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. It's basically garbage compared to knowing him. You strip everything else away, and underneath all the layers, the reason that we exist as Lutheran Church of Hope is because Jesus is life. And knowing him changes everything. And the reason that you are sitting here, I hope, is not out of duty, but because God has changed your life. As the band saying, our God is not dead. He is surely alive. And he's living in us. Turns out this was true of the early believers as well. Turn to Acts chapter 2 really quick. It's right after the Gospels, and we're just going to hit a verse there. Acts chapter 2, it's right after the book of John, and it's speaking of the early church, and it's describing who they are. As you're turning there, a lot of times we, I think we think in order to have a great church, in order to have really our priorities in line, everybody will come around and say, here's what you need to be a great church. You need a great big set. You need a great big production. You got to be huge and you got to have all the, you know, the, the, the fire and the pyrotechnics and all the screens and all the lights. None of those things are bad. They're actually really good. They're really cool if they connect people with Jesus. And they say, oh, you know, you got to be a certain size. You got to have a certain worship style. You got to pray in a certain way. You've got to have credible people. You've got to have great technology. And none of those things are bad. But when we look at the early church, they didn't have any of that stuff. And yet, listen to this description Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and sharing of meals, and in prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold property and possessions and shared money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple 
Each day they met in each other's homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now you read something like that and you go, that's a great church. That's the kind of church I'd want to be a part of. And that's why you hear everybody walking around saying, well, here's what you really need to do to be a great church. You need to be an Acts 2 church. And I used to be like, okay, that's great. Yeah, that sounds really good. I want to be a part of an Acts 2 church. And then I got to thinking, this is Acts 2. They're living it. It actually hasn't been written yet. So what if somebody came up to like Peter and Paul and said, hey, what kind of a church are you guys going to be? Uh, they're not going to be an Acts 2 church, right? They, they didn't have all the things that we have now today. They had three things. You want to know what they were? All that these people had starting out as the church were three things. Number one, the teachings of Jesus. They, well, they had the Old Testament, but they just had what they'd experienced from Jesus. The New Testament wasn't written yet. They had the teachings of Jesus. They were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. They'd seen a guy come back from the dead. And number three, they just got empowered with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's all they had. They didn't even have Romans. They couldn't even convert somebody using the Romans road, right? It wasn't written yet. They were living it. That's all that they had, and yet they were a great church. They changed the world, and I think all too often we think, oh man, we need all these other things to be a real church. You know what? I think about it. We've got the teachings of Jesus. You know, we not, may not be eyewitnesses to the resurrection, but all of us have seen God bring dead things to life, including us. We're all walking around. We're miracles. We've seen God save marriages and relationships and heal broken people and break addictions, and the list goes on and on. We've seen the power of the Holy Spirit changing lives here for the last six years and for the last 20 years at Lutheran Church of Hope. It's real. We have everything that we need to be that kind of a church. We have the teachings of Jesus. We are eyewitnesses to the resurrection in each other's lives. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit. So how will we respond? They responded like crazy people. They went out and started telling everybody they know. And even at one point, some of them were being tried before the Sanhedrin. And you know what some of the early believers said? We can't help it! <laughs> Our lives have been radically changed by Jesus Christ. We cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. And they go and they just start making disciples. And they start investing in each other's lives and serving the poor and giving everything away that they have. And some of you are saying, oh man, John, you know, that just seems a bit radical. I, we say, well, I, John, I... I'm not that kind of a Christian. And I just wonder, what other kind of Christian is there? That's why Jesus said, I'd rather just have you be hot or cold, not lukewarm. Because what a dying and a hurting world needs is not people who are lukewarm about what they believe. You're either alive or you're not. Jesus means everything. He changes everything or he changes nothing. So when somebody comes up to you and they ask, so what are you all about as Lutheran Church of Hope? You can tell them, we're absolutely about being social. <laughs> we're absolutely about you connecting with your friends. We're absolutely about building relationships and building community so that we can know Jesus more. 
so that we can encourage each other in our faith. We're absolutely about social justice. Put it up on the board for pity's sakes. We're passionate about it. But you want to know why we're passionate about it? Not to be good people, but because our God is passionate about it, because they're his kids, because they're his children. And that's why we serve. Because God changes us from the inside out. It's not about doing good deeds. It's because it's who we are. And absolutely, we love it that you come here and you get inspired by these messages and the band, but not so you can leave those doors going, oh, what a great worship set today. I really like that one song. Wow, what a great sermon today. I want you to leave today with Jesus on your lips. So that all the elevator talk and all the office buildings downtown and all the suburbs tomorrow, that all throughout the businesses and wherever you go and whatever you do, Jesus is on our lips. That he's the most famous person in Des Moines. He already is. People just don't know it. I want Jesus to be on your lips, but not saying, oh, I can't wait till next Sunday, but understanding the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in you and is walking with you. And those of you know, you can't force this stuff. It's from the inside out. And such was the case with the early church. You didn't have to tell them, oh, hey, here's our five values that we're going to live by as a church. They just lived it out. And all you'd have to do is hang out with this group of believers for a while, and you go, I know what their mission is. I know what their vision is. And I know what their core values is. Is because it's lived out every single day in the way that they love each other, in the way that they serve people. Nobody, everybody wants to be with the believers in Jerusalem <laughs> and in all these new churches. Because nobody else in the whole world loves the way that they do. Man, they're salty, and they're light, and they're bright. And that makes all the difference. When it comes to faith, when it comes to what our lives look like, we're either dead or alive, and it has nothing to do with what's out here when it comes to church. It has everything to do with what's going on in here. And I don't know about you, but I want to challenge you this week to read the book of Acts and ask yourself, what would be a reasonable response to the story that they just encountered? I mean, think about it. Some of these early believers, they're walking around going, I don't know all my theology. I don't fully know what it means to be a Christian. You know, I, I don't know if we're going to have a church service someday. I don't know if we're going to have a fellowship hour or serve coffee and donuts. I, I don't know if we're going to have a church building or not. None of that really matters. All that matters is we're on this mission. Because one day, there was this guy named Jesus, and he died upon a cross, and he set me free. And, and the next day, he comes, three days later, he comes walking out of the grave, and now he's alive, and all of a sudden, eternal life is available. And he comes, he ascends to heaven, and he says, go make disciples, tell Everybody that you know about me, go on mission for me. And that's all I know is that Jesus Christ has changed my life. And I cannot read the book of Acts. I can't read these stories and not respond radically. I, I, can't, I can't do that. I can't just say, well, that, that, this is what seems reasonable. You know, what would totally unreasonable, what wouldn't make sense at all, is to read a story like that And your Christian life looks like showing up to a church service once a week, consuming a message, clapping your hands a little bit, and going home and doing nothing about it. That wouldn't make sense at all. And it's convicting for me, too. And I'm working on that, but I just, anymore, I just want to read the Bible and I want to do what it says. 
And I want to strip away all the other layers of what we think it's all about. And we'll let all that stuff happen. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. I just want to read the Bible and I just, I just want to love people like Jesus loved people. I want to serve people that way. I don't want to hold in the good news. If it's truly good news, why are we not telling people about it? I just want to read the Bible and I want to do what it says. There's got to be more than this. This isn't bad. This is one little part of it. People that are passionately following Jesus and on mission for him, weekly worship is the icing on the cake that releases you and equips you back into go being the church seven days a week. That's what I get out of it. That's what I read. There's got to be more than that. Jesus is alive and he's living inside of us. So look alive. Look alive. I was thinking back to my childhood days again about baseball and because I was thinking about my baseball field today. And even a couple years after that, after my homemade baseball field, I went out for t-ball. And we're talking about second, third, fourth grade. If you've ever been to a t-ball game, it's a disaster, right? It's rough. It doesn't even look like baseball, right? They're hitting off a tee, and, and you've got kids that are falling down, and you're lucky if they get a base hit, they run to first instead of third. You know, they're running all over the place. You're, you're, lu- you're probably going to see a kid out in left field picking his nose. I know one time on our team, there was a guy that was in right field, and the ball finally got hit to him. He was sitting down in the outfield with a dandelion coloring his face, like in the middle of the game, right? Like, we were just dead. We were just complacent. We were just plateaued. It was a really hard time keeping our attention. So to combat that, our, um, our t-ball coach, whose name was Gus, uh, and he would always just yell out to us, you know, several times during the inning, he'd say this, okay, boys, look alive out there, eyes up, gloves out, knees bent, look alive out there, boys, look alive. And I was thinking about that. I was going, I think that's what Jesus wants to say to us today. Whatever your life looks like, whatever is out of whack or whatever it is, I think he wants to say, look alive out there, church. The God of the universe is alive in you. So you probably should look alive. Eyes up. Alert to how God is working in your life. Hands out ready to serve others, and knees bent in prayer for the city and the people around you that don't know Jesus. Eyes up, hands out, knees bent. Look alive out there. Ephesians chapter 5, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, puts it this way. Let's read this together up on the screen. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And you have to know that when Paul's writing this, yeah, he's talking to people that are maybe dead in their sin and don't know Jesus, and they need to literally wake up and rise from the dead just as Jesus did. He's talking to believers. He's talking to the church in Galatia. He's talking to people that have fallen asleep. Not like physically, like if the sermon gets boring, but like spiritually fallen asleep. And I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you're plateaued. Maybe the greatest danger to your faith today is complacency. And you're snoring your way through it. Wake up, O sleeper. 
Rise from the dead. Look alive out there. I believe that Jesus Christ wants to come and he wants to fill you up with his passion today. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but maybe for you it means putting away the immature, childish nature and growing up into maturity and being a man or woman of God and being done with some of those sins that perpetually haunt you and surrendering to Jesus Christ. For some of you, what it looks like to come awake, to, 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 to grow in your faith, is, is for you to finally stop dancing around the idea of community and join a life group today because you were created for it, because you were created for relationship. For some of you, it's going to be getting on your knees, knees bent, and asking God, who are those young families in my neighborhood whose kids need to experience the everlasting love of Jesus at VBS? Pray about it and then respond. God, what are you saying to me and what am I going to do about it? Look alive out there, church. Don't sleep your way through it. Look alive. What's your next step today? Wake up, O oh sleeper. Wake up, church. It's time to be the church. Stand up, and we're going to do it together. Everybody ready? I'm going to treat you like Gus. This is the T-ball team, okay, so everybody, you know, you're picking your nose, kind of looking around, right, wandering off. You can do that pretty well, right? Awesome. Okay, look alive out there, church. Look alive out there. Repeat after me. Eyes up. Hands out. Knees bent. Look alive out there, church, one more time. Eyes up, looking for opportunities. Just say eyes up. <laughs> Hands out. Knees bent. Knees bent in prayer. Look alive out there, church. Go be the church. God bless you. Have a great week. Go for it.